This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. It's time to get educated on your Second Amendment rights. Welcome to two full hours of Gun Owners Radio. Your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz, will teach you about firearms, self-defense, and the laws that affect your rights to keep and bear arms. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with questions to learn how to become a sponsor of Gun Owners Radio and get involved. Together, we will win. Now here's your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Dramisi, and Michael Schwartz on The Answer San Diego. Hi, folks. Hey, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. Where's our voice box? He's not feeling 100%. Up to snuff? Yeah, so it's well, back we, to me. We've been wearing him out, you know. I'm, uh, I'm, in the, I'm on the B team. You're on the B team. Put me in, coach. <laughs> hey, to sell in your home stress feel overwhelming well let me tell you it doesn't have to be that way we got scott vinson from caldwell banker royal realty scott vinson is the perfect guy to help you sell or buy your home scott has also been a san diego county gun owner board member from the start so if you're moving let fellow second amendment supporter and real estate broker scott vinson help you sell your home that's v-i-n-s-o-n and he can also find you another home somewhere in the United States. Let him do the legwork. 619-948-2459. Tell him you heard it right here on Gun Owners Radio. That's Scott at 619-948-2459. Or go to scottvinson.com. So did you hear Rittenhouse kill two black guys? Excuse me? Did you hear Rittenhouse kill two black guys? I don't understand the question. Well, if, you're you, re- reading, uh, if you go to Brazil <laughs> or if you go to Bolivia, the reports are that he killed two black guys. I don't know what you're talking about at all. The the Rittenhouse. Yeah, I know who Rittenhouse is, but I don't know what you're talking about. Those That's reports. what the media is, is telling everybody. Where did, you, where did you see that? Brazilian media. Is that yeah, well, Brazilian media, media some of the local. I haven't seen that. Isn't that insane? It was, I'm extremely happy you got acquitted, though. I am, too. I am totally uh, I, I, Had he not been acquitted, that would have been an enormous blow to, to self-defense. Okay, but do you think the fact that he was acquitted is going to ramp up the attack on gun owners? Yeah, I mean, like they needed a ramp. Well, I know, you know that. But yeah, but, but it's... And I, mean, I only say that because now they're calling him a vigilante. Yeah, of yeah, course. They've, they've been doing that all along, though. Yeah, I well... Mean, but they now they think that. they have ammo, no, so to speak. Pun but they uh-huh. they don't. They couldn't get their riot started the other night, so it's not as uh, big a deal as they think. Yeah, but they it did is. in Portland. Well, yeah, that's Portland. They've been rioting there every night anyway. <laughs> I think that's uh-huh. a prerequisite. I, it just there. you know, aside from you know all the, aside from all the the kind of the, the the ancillary crap, you know, like well, why was he? Why did he cross state lines? And why was a seventeen year old there? And all that other stuff. Okay, fine. Uh, the most important part of this is this was a person who was uh, being attacked and acted um, legally. Yes, acted legally, and had they uh, found him guilty of something, it would have chipped away at everyone's ability to defend themselves. Right, you would have lost, you know, a, a little bit more of your ability to defend yourself. Now, people say, "Well, gee, when am I going to be defending myself in a in a at a riot with an AR-15?" Well, that, that's not the point. The point is the circumstances. It's not what gun he was using or where he was no. or how old he was 
you know, he was uh, attacked by three different people, mm-hmm. and uh, he defended himself uh, perfectly in the eyes of the law. You know, when, in, as far as self defense goes, he did that. He did that perfect. That that was a textbook. I mean, what he did right. was was textbook. textbook. It was yeah. perfect, and I, I doubt that many adults would have responded. It was that a way. perfect storm so, all the way around. So now, if he would, if he was found guilty of something, then that textbook would have to be changed. You know that your your rights would have been cinched down a yes. little bit. Well, now you can only defend yourself. You know, as long as whatever is happening. However, it would have been, but but this was an enormous victory. Uh, in defending your right to defend yourself, I totally agree. I, I you know, but but you didn't know how it was going to end. I mean, because you had the intimidation by people on the jury. Yeah, you had MSNBC. Well, he, he, he didn't really wasn't chasing the jury bus. He just happened to be in the vicinity and got a speeding ticket. What a coincidence! Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Don't now. you there hate is, that? I, I, uh, it was, yeah, was going to be good. Now, what <laughs> about the Aubrey tra- uh, Particularly, case. by the way, that the third person um, who attacked him, that was extremely textbook. He didn't actually defend himself until the gun was being pointed at him. He actually paused. Right. You know? Right. Um, and uh, that was obviously, you can't say, well, he paused because he was nervous or whatever. He paused because uh, he was following, you know, the, the the rules and laws and ethics and morals of, of self defense. Because he had just defended himself with lethal force against two other people. Right. So it's not like he was having second thoughts. No. You know, and that gun was in his face. But by the time he he pulled the trigger, yeah, it sure right. was. Now I do say I, I got to tell you, um, the one thing that I'll bet you a lot of our listeners and a lot of other gun owners are going to argue with me about, and that's fine. Um, but I do somewhat feel sorry for those other two guys, the the two, the second and third person mm-hmm. that he had to defend himself. And and the reason I feel a little sorry for them is uh, we talked about, we touched about touched on a little bit last week. Here you have an entire crowd saying, "Hey, that guy just shot somebody." You know, he's an active shooter. You know, uh, he help, 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 right? And you have two guys who believed that. You know, it wasn't true. But they believed it sure. and decided to try to help. Right. I kind of feel sorry for them. And their backgrounds of what their past has nothing to do now, with Now, here's what what's going to happen, though. Here's what's going to happen. Some listener out there is going to pick apart some nuance and play, you know, quarterback, you know, armchair quarterback. Well, the thing about blah, blah, blah. The reality is if you're out there and you see something like that, I, I would imagine most people, particularly if you've gone through training and are carrying lethal force, most pe- most people that would at least pay attention. They wouldn't sit there and go, "Well, gee, golly gosh," and they pick apart the nuance or whatever. They'd go, "Something's happening," you know. I'm pretty sure something's happening. Right. There's evidence to show that something bad's happening. Maybe I should step in and do something. Right. Um, I and I, I feel sorry for for that person a little bit. I'd have to stretch to feel sorry for. I don't know about the second person that was killed, but the. Uh, the guy that was wounded, that that's not the kind of guy that was there to help. That, oh, wait, I'll get in here and save people. That, no. that, that's just well, not He that, was the only one he's that, not had that a kind gun. of guy. Well, but that's why he went after Rittenhouse, is he was being told this is an active shooter. Right. So he said, yeah, and I'm sure most criminals that are, that are you know, felony burglars and have a long, uh, you know, criminal history, that's what they react to. Oh, wait, there's a, there's a, ma- a mass shooter. I better well, why, go help. But what's the, I, you know? I understand he had, he was, he had a, a, a criminal history. I get that. But what, 
what was he going after Rittenhouse for, if not because he thought he was an active shooter? Well, it's maybe for the same reason the other guys were. Maybe they didn't like that Rittenhouse put the fire out that they were trying to start at the business. So. But, well, this that first guy did, mm-hmm. but the second two, it, it, it but, appeared to me that they were going after him because they were being told he was And an the second shooter. guy wasn't armed. Why would you, in your right mind, go after— The second guy, he had, I know he had a skateboard. Listen, I get, so imagine this. Imagine this scenario. Imagine there is an actual— uh, uh, serial killer or uh, active shooter, an active, you know, someone that's, that's a mass shooter, whatever sure, you want to sure, say, sure, someone yeah. that's actually shooting up something and somebody attacks them with a skateboard because that's the only weapon they have, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that scenario played out that way, if the person was an actual active shooter, this person with the skateboard would be a hero. Right. Wow. You did what? You jumped in, right. you know, and, and attacked him with, as a, now again, you know, putting aside the context, you know, of, of being, I wouldn't, I wasn't out there. I wasn't out there. I wasn't yeah. at a riot. Yeah, I tend were. to not go to riots. Rittenhouse was out there. I don't think he should have been there. I think yeah. that he actually broke, uh, what is it, Masada Yub's rule where he said, look, if you're going somewhere where you have to have a gun, you shouldn't go there. That's a dumb right. thing to do. Yeah. And then, but the other but he side, did. the other side of that, though, is wh- at what point or is there a point at all that you stand up as a person and try to stop this stuff? I mean, at what point? Do you help your neighbor? At what point do you do anything? Or is there no point at all? We just don't. Well, I don't know, but this didn't work out for him real well. No, 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 it didn't. (laughs) But he did not go there to try to forcefully stop rioting. He went there to help, to try to help protect property if he could, and to try to help with uh, injured people if he could. I I agree. And he had the gun with him because he was smart. And I think that there are a ton of adults out there that drop the ball by letting a 17-year-old go out there and do that. I don't think he should have. But... I do think that's the only time this guy was carrying. Rittenhouse didn't walk around carrying a gun. Mm-mm. He was going to a place where he thought, "Hey, I need to carry a gun. It's going to be that and dangerous." The gun and the was rule there. is, the right, gun was that, there. He understood. didn't bring it. Yep. So, but he brought it to the to the to the event. Right. And the rule is, when 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 we were all talking, you know, a, a year ago before this happened, when we're all sitting around talking, we would all say we would agree. That if you have, if you feel like you have to carry a gun somewhere, you're going somewhere and you have to carry a gun there. Don't go there. It's a stupid thing to do. But and that's all I'm saying. I'm no, staying consistent. We, no, we, we I, I agree. Guns. But I think I think you're right, Joe, because he he wasn't going there to get into a fight. No, as opposed to the three people that he shot. Correct. Yeah. He was going there to to paint, put fires out, and do any protection for that car lot. The fact that these people attacked him and he happened to have a gun. I mean, that's well, how well, he. Well, and the other thing, I, we go, we carry guns every single day, and yeah, we go no, places I know, with guns. But the he, Masa, the Masada Yub thing, though, remember yeah. what no, he no, said? No, I, I understand that. Well, he yeah, said he's so, never going to do that again. Yeah, you don't, so don't he, go someplace uh, where you feel you need to be armed that you wouldn't go unarmed. Right. But I mean, you and I carry guns every day. We go everywhere with guns. He can't because the law prevents him from carrying a handgun. It doesn't prevent him from carrying a rifle. This is the only place, uh, to to my knowledge, this is the mm-hmm. only place he's ever carried a gun. He felt like, hey, this is. I need to go somewhere. He didn't even own a gun. Well, would you no, walk around with a rifle? Gun. <laughs> yeah, but but what I'm saying is this wasn't a normal part of right. his life. He mm-hmm. went into a situation that he thought was so dangerous that he needed to carry a firearm. You and I would normally say that's a dumb place to go. That's not a smart right. maneuver. No matter if you had a gun or not. Now, this got politicized, you know, sure. because of the whole situation and 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 I think too many people have kind of kind of thrown it out because we like picking sides. I, st- I think I, I think it's worthy to, to say, hey, look, these guys thought it was there was an active shooter. They thought they were sticking up for, uh, you know, uh, you right. know, jumping somebody that was I murdering people. I see that people. point. I do see the, that the point. The second two. Now, that first guy was just a scumbag. Yeah. 
you know. But the second two, I kind of feel for them. Like hey, I got to wonder if someone's mm-hmm. running through a neighborhood, you know, or even if it's a riot or whatever, and and they're telling, you know, and they're, I don't know. You got to wonder how you how you'd react. Terrible. We, we talk about the danger of getting involved in right. uh, Joe, third party money? incidents, right? Joe, you right. got any money? Uh, yeah, because we got to take a break. Either that, or you have to pay <laughs> one of the two. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM ninety six. AM eleven seventy. The answer. All right, folks. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM ninety six one. AM eleven seventy. The answer. So learn about soft skills with Steve Tarani next. But first. Self-defense and emergencies can happen to anyone, and there's no guarantee that the justice system will be on your side. Make sure you are protected for the legal battle after your self-defense battle. While you protect your family and property, U.S. Law Shield is here to defend you 24-7, 365 days a year, with comprehensive self-defense coverage at an affordable price. Bad guys don't take days off, and neither does our coverage. Listeners get a free T-shirt when you use the code Gun Owners Radio. Back to sign up today. Go to uslawshield.com. All right. Our next guest is Steve Tarani. He is a professional educator, author, and keynote speaker. Steve Tarani has served the United States defense, law enforcement, and intelligence communities for over 30 years as a respected subject matter expert, service provider in protection, firearms, and defensive tactics to numerous high and low profile federal agencies. Steve, how are you? Welcome to the show. Rich, how are you? Very good. Thank you for for having me on today. You bet. Thanks for joining us so much. So let's start off. What exact? I have soft serve skills. Uh, (laughs) I've worked on those for years. I'm pretty good at it, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about soft skills. Steve, what are soft skills? Sure. Um, The best way to describe soft skills is uh, will be in uh, in two parts. One would be to uh, illustrate the contrast between hard skills and soft skills, and the other would be to discuss the significant advantage of soft skills over hard skills. So the first one would be, you know, we look at hard skills. Those are thing anything that would require your physicality, such as uh, you know firearms, hand-to-hand combat, edge weapons, defense, uh, defensive driving, things like that. Hard skills, by their nature, uh, can cause injury. They introduce a scale of injury and require mandatory physical training. Uh, So so by contrast, soft skills uh, does not require the use of your body. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Uh, It requires the use of your mind. It is non-physical, therefore does not introduce any physical injury and uh, you don't need a firearm, a gun, or empty hand or anything like that. The only thing you need is appropriate mindset and situational awareness. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. So, uh, what, what, like, give me an example. What's an example of a, of, of uh, I, maybe let, let's go this route. What's an example of how you teach someone soft skills? <clears throat> so, um, there are. Uh, well, let me. I'll, I'll give you a, a thirty thousand foot view. You know, there okay. are entire government agencies such as the uh, National Security Agency, uh, whose entire purpose is uh, wrapped around the, uh, uh, the the entire concept of soft skills. So, I'll give you an example. Some uh, people who do um, surveillance 
counter surveillance, surveillance detection, things like that. They are the experts in soft skills. Um, law enforcement officers are experts in soft skills. You know, they are trained to, um, you know, follow a process. For example, uh, sir, may I please have your driver's license? You know, they go through the, uh, the uh, process of asking, and then if you don't, then they take it to the next level. Okay, sir, give me your driver's license, you know, things like that. Mm. And then, um, you know, up from there. Uh, we as civilians are held to the same standards of appropriate use of force as is law enforcement, and you got to start at the lowest levels, of course, which are your soft skills. That's interesting. How did you, what led you to this? Where, how did, tell us a little bit about how your career led you to um, you know, educating people about soft skills. <clears throat> well, um, uh, you know, having, uh, having served as a, a deputy for a short time and also uh, working as a federal contractor and, and especially working overseas for for uh, for CIA and, and other government agencies, um, you know, I, I, I was in I was uh, exposed to situations and conditions where um, you know where, where it was absolutely necessary for 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 us to have hard skills. In fact, you couldn't get on that airplane unless you qualified, you know, with with specific hard skills for that uh, assignment. But uh, what was interesting to me, what I discovered in the world of protection and in law enforcement, <clears throat> in the world of a, of, a, of, a, um, of a federal contractor, is that almost all, if not all, of those problems that most folks got into could have been solved with, without ever needing to go to guns. So uh, it really interested me years ago, about 20-something years ago, it, this, this is what caught, caught me on fire. Uh, about that is that, well, you know what? Bad things just don't happen to good people out of the blue. There's a, a series of events which lead up to that uh, physical violence, and those series of events are uh, what, can, what can be managed using soft skills. If not, then, then you have no choice but to rely on your hard skills, um, but why not solve the problem you know, without needing to introduce injury to the equation? That's interesting. So, in an, in an ideal world, where should education about soft skills happen when a person becomes a gun owner? Well, um, you know how it is uh, in in the world of uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, when you have a uh, a person who's never owned a gun before and. Um, you know, they decide, oh, I'm going to own a gun. Well, they, then they think, you know, it's pretty much a uh, like a like a rabbit's foot or or some type of a charm or right. something that's going to keep away all evil. But they they don't realize that it requires quite a bit of training. You know, for maintenance and safety and storage, etc. All the all the things that are required to be a responsible gun owner. And um, those are uh, those are are mandatory to to, to owning a firearm. In addition to that, also comes your responsibility and to meet those standards for appropriate use of force. So, for example, you know, someone raises their voice. Well, you don't have the right to just go to guns and, you know, solve the problem that way. How about de-escalating the conversation or de-escalating the argument using your verbal judo skills, using your situational awareness to figure out, hey, what's another way to solve this problem? I, I've heard uh, I've heard it put. Uh, I've heard other instructors say that you know are you are you is your gun a, a whoopie? You know, are you, in other words, are you carrying it like a like a like your protective blanket when you were a kid, 
or are you actually putting the training in to uh, so that you know what you're doing and you are effective with it? it kind of reminds me of what you were saying. Um, exactly, that that's correct. I mean, you know, it, it varies. I, I have uh, I, I'm I'm in my 21st year on staff up at Gunsight Academy, and I've seen literally tens of thousands of new gun owners over the past three decades. And I can tell you that there's a, a wide range from, yes, this is a lucky rabbit's foot, to, oh, no, I need to train with this and really get good at it. There's quite a range. So tell me a little bit more. So we, we kind of talked about it from 30,000 feet. Give me, you know, if, if someone says, hey, I want to come in and learn more about soft skills, you know, give me a little little clearer example or, or a little bit, you know, uh, more detailed example. What are they actually learning? Like what, what are they learning? Or maybe describe a scenario where soft skills – you know, uh, you know, get somebody out of trouble, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and, and it's what you use it for. You know, you, you know, you got to look at the gun, or I shouldn't say just the gun. I mean, you know, it could be anything. It could be a knife. could be an improvised weapon, whatever that is. Um, if you need to go to that, <clears throat> that means that you are rocked back on your heels, and it is your only remaining reactive measure. Well, in contrast to that, um, utilizing your soft skills, that would be something along the lines of you're walking into a situation where you're in, let's say, an, 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 an unfamiliar environment. Well, we can use our situation. Everybody uses this word, situational awareness. Uh, there are different, there are varying levels of that, but utilizing your or applying your situational awareness to your environment, you can take visual control, audio control. You can uh, utilize your mind to interact with your environment to look for such things as um, potential threat indicators, um, you know, anomalies, things like that, where uh, it could identify a potential threat. And if you do see something, then, you know, you, you've, be, you've been made aware of it, and you can avoid it. So, so anything that's utilizing a soft skill is a proactive measure as opposed to a reactive measure, which would require the use of a hard skill. That's interesting. All right. Hey, we're going to have to take a quick break. Can you hang around? Yes, sir. Oh, that's awesome. Folks, you are listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170, The Answer. Folks, hey, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, our freedom of speech is just as important as our freedom of self-defense. And we are thrilled to support an American company like MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and use the code FREEMARKET3 and get up to 66% off America's best pillow. Get a great night's sleep and enjoy the satisfaction of supporting companies Fighting against cancel culture. That's mypillow.com and use promo code FREEMARKET3 for up to 66% off. All right. All right. We brought back Steve Tarini. Steve Tarani. Or Tarani. Yep. And we're talking about soft skills. Steve, how should people train for mindset? Okay. Um, Well, Put, let's put it into focus before we go into the specifics like that. The focus would be think about, we can ask our listeners to think about uh, when, 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 when they were very young, when, like, say four or five years old, all the way up to this very moment listening to this broadcast. 
And in that time, what percentage would you say that you were in a knockdown, drag out, punch in the face, teeth on the roadside curb fight versus utilizing your awareness to maybe see something and hear something and, and never really engaging physically? If you look at those numbers, it's about 2% that, you, that have gone through that type of stuff. Uh, knockdown, drag out, fight, and 98% of that time was utilizing something else. So if you look at those percentages, 2% versus 98%, you know we look at all the schools and everything out there for hard skills. It's it's a it's applicable to that 2%. My question is, what about the 98%? And to to, to go right back into your question, Rich, it's it's about things that you can do to support that 98% skill. And uh, one of them is very common, and that is being able to make some decisions uh, by yourself with, without needing to um, go to a school or go to a class. And here's what I mean by that: um, <clears throat> you, you have to come to the, fa- the, the, the come to the uh, agreement with yourself and accept the fact that bad things happen every day, and that they could happen to you. Most people think, oh, yeah, it'll never happen to me, or it might happen in some far-off, undetermined date in the future. But tomorrow afternoon, you get out of the car or get out of work or whatever, it could happen right then and there. So step one would be to accept the facts, and then after that, to make up your mind. And included in the mindset is that that your own personal safety is your responsibility. Once you've made that decision that it's your responsibility and you accept the fact that it could happen, then the the, the third step would be to uh, have the will to be able to do something about it. So what's something our listeners can do at home to practice soft skills? Okay, one of the one of the drills is to always have a plan. And that would be, okay, let's say, I'm just making this up, you're taking the family to uh, an outdoor holiday event. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a it's a it's an open area. There's um, you know um, you know you to, to something like that. If something happened, you'd probably have to run some distance if you needed to. So, for example, I wouldn't wear open-toed shoes or flip-flops or the clothing that was restrictive things that, that would restrict you from being able to run in case something like that happened. Do you have something in the car? You know, medical kit, things like that. Think ahead of where where you're going what you're going to be doing and dress appropriately and prepare for that mentally. So when you, as you're kind of describing it here, it sounds almost like uh, maybe an extreme kind of Hollywood example is like, uh, I don't know, like when Jason Bourne walks into a room and he knows exactly where, you know, everything, uh, where is. everything is. And, you know, he knows how fast he can run for how long and which, where the escape route is. And this guy over here has this look on, you know, or like Mission Impossible when they, uh, when he describes the room and everybody runs. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Uh, not to that level, but yeah, not to that level. That level's extreme. I don't think that level actually exists. Well, that's actually a good question. Um, does that level actually exist? Do you know? I, w- I would figure you'd be the person to ask. Does, are there actually human beings out there that have that level of uh, soft skills, you know, professional, whatever, spies or whatever? Is, does that actually exist or is that all in the movies? Uh, being in, being a, uh, having been a protective agent and uh, being in the world of protection, um, there are folks who are very, very good at that. And, and to really clarify that, you know, you can look, I'll give you an example. 
you, how many times have you looked at your watch to see what time it is and then looked at it again? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, here's the reason why. Your eyeballs were on it. You looked at your watch. Clearly, if somebody took a picture, you were looking at your watch, but you didn't see it because you were not mentally connected to it. You weren't there. Your mind wasn't connected. So many people can walk into a room and put, throw their eyeballs around the room and, and look at many things, but they can't see or they are unable, they're not trained to see. There's a big difference. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. So now I figured it out. Yeah? Well, I collect tall radios, and I bought one the other day and put it in the house. Three days went by before the wife figured out it was there. <laughs> but yet she walked by it. I mean, literally. No walked, soft skills. No soft skills. She needs to take his class for I sure. I think she needs to. You know, so, another, I got a text Yeah. from a school teacher that said, you need to think about teaching soft skills to teachers. Because she said the majority of the teach have no idea how to do soft skills. Well, um, I, I actually do that. Funny um, you should say that. My, my company, uh, we're hired, and we do, we do have clients which are um, the more um, forward-leaning schools that uh, are a little bit ahead of the power curve because they realize mm-hmm. they can solve the problem without uh, you know, relying on their active shooters' uh, hard skills training. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so so that's that sounds like we just kind of described a very small uh, My fraction. My wife just texts me. She says, "That's me." <laughs> uh, you just well, uh, described a small fraction of it because after so after you're aware and you notice and see things that are going on, then then there's a reaction. There's something you have to do to avoid having to use hard skills. Well, are you? Are you overly observant? Like when you go home, do you look around the house? So honestly, um, or no? I, I I always sound I I feel like I found I sound like a dork when I say this, but I actually really am. So, I'm very observant. So I always I. know what's going on around me. Me too. It's kind of ridiculous. Joe? No, I actually do. I, I try to make it a point to do that, but I mean nobody's perfect because I'll catch myself, you know, doing things like you were just talking about your wife. We got a new uh, mailbox in the neighborhood on our street, brand new, completely different than the old one. And I walked by that at least three times, didn't even see it. So, <laughs> see, uh, never, so I try to be paying attention all the time. I've never but, done that. But I, mean, I slip once yeah. in a while. So and I was going to blame it on military training because you and I both have been in the military and they've always taught you to keep your eyes open and always be looking around. Well, I mean, it does work most of the time. And uh, like <laughs> Michael was saying, I mean, when I walk into a, a restaurant, a business or something, I do always look you around. Case it. No, I'm conscious of who's in there with me, yeah, me and I'm too. conscious of the doors and everything like that. I so mean, I'm, 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 I'm downright, I'm, I'm as close to paranoid <laughs> as it can get without it being diagnosable. I mean, I don't even like when walking down the street, if someone's walking behind me, I'll put my back up against the wall and just let them go by. Like I'm, I'm almost and paranoid. And no one's going to jump you as big as you are. <laughs> well, and, and because of, as, because of my soft skills too. <laughs> hey, so, all right. So Steve, so, all right. So now you're, you're self-aware, you're, you know, you're, you're aware of your surroundings, that'll, but that's, that's just kind of a minor st- or one step, I should say. After you, you notice, you know, or after something happens, then there are, are soft skills involved in de-escalating a situation, right? There's a whole other chapter to this, right? Sure, absolutely. There's an extensive amount of training. And for example, I'm sure you've heard of verbal judo. Right. Uh, we just, doctor. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that, you know, those are very good examples. Um, here's a, here's a, here's an extreme example, but it was a few years ago. Um, there was a, uh, a administrator at a school just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, Antoinette Tuft. 
and uh, a, a uh, active shooter walked into the school with a rifle, cranked off a round or two into the foyer, and she literally talked him down and, and talked him into putting the rifle on her desk and wait for the police to walk in. Wow. wow. So how do you practice that kind of thing? Like, how do you, or I should say, how do you, how do you let's start with how you teach it. How do you teach somebody verbal judo? <clears throat> well, so there is, um, you, you have to look at a potential scenario from three angles. And those are, one is uh, to take proactive measures. Do everything you can to uh, avoid as best you can. And failing that avoidance, you then may have to make active measures which are different than proactive measures. That means something's actually going on. For example, that guy you said that was following behind you on the street, you took an active measure. Your proactive measure was you recognized a potential threat. That was your proactive measure, utilizing your situational awareness of your environment. And then you, you uh, executed an active measure by stepping away, putting your back against the wall. But you were prepared mentally to take reactive measures if it went a step further. So those are the three, proactive measures to avoid a threat, active measures to mitigate a threat, and reactive measures to respond physically to a threat. But so how do you, I guess it's probably based in, in a, there's probably a lot of psychology behind, you know, how do you talk somebody who is, you know, somebody that's, that's, that's determined to do harm to you, how do you talk that person out of it? Or at least how do you teach someone to do their best to talk somebody out of it? Well, you know, you, there's there's different um, uh, there there's different uh, techniques that are out there, and uh, uh, for example, you know, you you, you have your hands uh, maybe up by your waist or a little higher above your gun belt with the palms facing them. It's a universal body language symbol of surrender. Hey, buddy, what's going? Lower your voice, talk slower. You know, uh, change your your body posture. Uh, those are the verbal, visual cues that to let somebody know, hey, you know what? This is not an altercation. This is, you know, we're talking peace, love, happiness here. That's interesting. Hey, can you give us one example of uh, of you, like a real world example where you've uh, where you've used this in your in your in your life? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we were uh, over uh, overseas on an assignment, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we got out. There was four of us. We got out of the vehicle, and all of us. You know, in, without without thought, because we've done it so many times, <clears throat> looked to our uh, over to the left, which was across the street in this uh, building, and there are a bunch of folks uh, uh, there that were looking at that were you know obviously scanning us, looking at the vehicle. We weren't from around there. They identified us as Americans, and uh, they were looking at us. And when all four of us looked right back at them. <laughs> They all looked to the ground and uh, dispersed because we took away, utilizing our situational awareness, we utilized it as a deterrent and took away their element of surprise. Interesting. Wow. But wouldn't you say each situation is totally different than the next? Absolutely. There's no cookie-cutter no. you know, wish because if there was, you could go online to any do-it-yourself video on YouTube and <laughs> – there would be the universal answer, yeah. but there isn't one. Well, that, that's why I think that's why I was at. Like, it seems impossible to teach, you know, because there is no. Uh, I guess you just have to find, you know, similarities. I, and, I think and, you just teach people to be. See, you're already aware slash paranoid. Okay, paranoid, true. So <laughs> it's yeah, not like, even in your mind. It's I mean, be like Mike. That's what you teach. I bet. <laughs> like if you go down the hall by yourself, walk into the restroom, you will kind of look it over. 
before you go in and do the duty you got to do. You know, Dave, it's not paranoia if they're actually after you. Well, I know, but you know nobody I mean? is after you. Oh. But like my wife, say, she say lives in another now. world where she's it's all dogs, it's all work, and she'll walk through life just totally consumed and doesn't think to look around. And I think, yes, you can teach it, but don't you agree, Steve? There are people out there that just have that. Maybe it is paranoia. I don't know, but they they just do that. They look around. They 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 assess things. I'd li- I'd like to make a a, a differentiation uh, between paranoia and preparedness. So <laughs> I like I like this already. Yeah, yeah let's do this. Steve, I'm, like you I'm about to feel me. way better about myself. <laughs> Go for it, Steve. Okay, you come. You're in your vehicle. You drive up to a red light and you stop, and then the light turns green. Well. When I pull up to a light and I stop and the light turns green, even when it turns green, I still look left and right because you just don't know. You so know do I. I. Mm. So is that paranoid or prepared? Yeah. There you go. Mike just stands on it. That's the problem. With I it. was a Boy Scout. Be prepared. That's well, the I was too. Maybe that has something to do with it. All right. So where do listeners go to yeah. learn more, Steve? Because my wife wants to take your class online. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, there's a few. There's several options. Um, one is... I've written uh, several books. One, my most recent, which I would recommend specifically for this, is Your Most Powerful Weapon, which is available on Amazon in both uh, uh, soft cover and um, uh, Kindle. Uh, there's also um, my website, steveterani.com, which I offer a free, F-R-E-E, free monthly newsletter um, that I, in that newsletter, I present open source intelligence, which provides information necessary for uh, your awareness of what's going on today and and, and how to be prepared for things like that. Uh, I also write for numerous gun magazines, um, so my articles are out there every month. And then lastly, um, I'd I'd like to um, uh, make an announcement that uh, around the end of the first quarter in 22, there will be, we are currently working on a the end of a four-year-long project to have this all um, Wow. Alright, folks, Congratulations. That's, that's T-A-R-A-N-I if you go online looking for them. Steve, look forward to hearing back from you, especially with the late up, latest updates. Very good, Rich. You guys stay safe out there. Alright, take care. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer! FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. So running, shooting, and problem solving. Kevin Greb from Waco Tactical Fitness rejoins the show to recap the Waco Tactical Fitness Biathlon. But first, most companies waste a lot of money on marketing. And the reason why is because they don't have a clear message. Well, you could have a website. You could have your own social media. You could have advertising. But if you don't have a clean, easy-to-understand message, you are losing your customers. Sage Tree gets it. Since 2005, Sage Tree has been helping companies with their websites and marketing. Contact them today and learn about their secret sauce to help you get more ROI. That's return on investment. See? And then your marketing dollars, coming from your marketing dollars. So go to sagetree.com and learn more. All right, what do we got today? We got 
Who's going to do this one? Michael? We got Kevin Gribb. I'll do that. Or Kevin Gribb, I'm sorry, right, from Waco Tactical Fitness. So, Kevin, welcome back. Oh, Kevin. Or maybe not. No, Kevin. Oh, that's I'm what here. You to there oh, there is. you go. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here, Kevin. So, um, tell you guys did the uh, an, a biathlon in October. So, how did that go? It went well. We uh, we have gained so much experience on having the uh, the event that uh, everything runs so so well. Uh, we have electronic scoring now. We had uh, 160 shooters on Saturday, and we had 85 on Sunday, and uh, it was a total success. So is that is that just attrition from uh, Saturday to Sunday, or are they different events? They're different events. Okay. Uh, Saturday is a 10K event, and Sunday is what we call our Sunday Sprint. It's a shorter event, not only in running time, but there's also a few less stages and a lower round count. Okay, and just um, just a recap for like our listeners that uh, didn't hear you last time here. What exactly is the uh, the biathlon the biathlon event that you guys do? Can you explain a little bit about that? Okay, we uh, we do a running gun event, and that is a competition unlike any other in the shooting sports. The typical uh, shooting competition, you come up to a stage in a rested uh, condition and you have all your gear with you and you get to uh, watch the other shooters and, and try to game the event. Our event is a uh, start to finish. Uh, any gear that you plan on having with you all the ammunition, your pistol, and your rifle. If you want to carry water, everything is on you on the start line. And you leave a start line and you negotiate a course, which is very physically demanding, and you go through the shooting stages um, with, with all the gear on your back or on your person, and you negotiate it in, in that condition. We have always wanted to promote field craft, and uh, everything that we do is unknown distance. So your pistol targets can be anywhere from about 15 yards to about 40 yards. Your, raf your rifle targets can be anywhere from 50 to 500 yards. Everything is unknown distance, so you have to know um, how your how your dope on your rifle is is running out, and you have to know how to solve the problem of wind and uh, temperature, and you have to know how to get your uh, heart rate and breathing under control to negotiate the course. So it's interesting. It sounds like it's um you know it's it sounds like it's very physically demanding as well as uh, the mental part of it too because uh, you know I, I shoot competitions and there a lot of the competitions you know just the USPSA matches there's a, a mental aspect of that of figuring out you know exactly how you're going to shoot the stage and how you have to move and where you can shoot you know what targets can you see from here and there um, but your thing it sounds like you have got all that plus the physical part. Do you have? Do most people finish right. that, or do you have people that that don't finish it because of the physical part? 
We we do have some people that are very high level competitors that finish literally finish the 10k event in less than an hour, and we have people that's on the course for three hours. So we cater to everyone that feels they can finish our course, but there's really no time limit given other than each stage has to be completed within three minutes to successfully pass that stage. But time on the course is really not limited. So we have families that run together, uh, mom, dad, children. We have groups of friends that compete together. But then we have the high-level competitors that run to win. Yeah, it's interesting to see that. I remember um, years ago, back in my EMT days, uh, when I was I was working a medical support station at the Rock and Roll Marathon out here in San Diego, and uh, we were at mile marker twenty one. And once the when the marathon started, you know, the first people you see were the world class runners, the elite runners. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. when they come by, like we were at mile twenty one, and they come by it, like for me, would have been a full sprint. At, at mile 21, it's just really, uh, it's impressive watching uh, those kinds of competitors. But I guess you get the equivalent there for your biathlon as well. We do. We get folks that are are amazing competitors, but we also get the folks that shoot very well, but they're not in the class that the top competitors are. But I think most people compete in our event just to better themselves, uh, increase their physical capabilities and their shooting capabilities also. So cool. So Kevin, how's your uh, event scored? I'm assuming it's a combination of of hits and times and things like that. It is. It is absolutely a, a, a combination of completed stages and runtime calculated together. How'd it get the name WTF? <laughs> well, it was kind of reverse engineered. Fitness. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, we had a little fun with that. Um, <laughs> you know, when we first started, there was a, there was a myriad of issues that was in the midst of the um, first of the, um, Obama administration and the we had a small junior high power team there in Crawford, Texas that they were great competitors but the the money to support that organization had dropped off considerably uh, from the Texas State Rifle uh, Texas State Rifle and Pistol Association, the local clubs, and everything had tightened up at that time. Also, during that time, we had a good friend that held one of the first running guns in the country that was killed in a car accident. And so we had a need to raise money, and we wanted to honor our friend And um, we had also a gap because of um, the event that he had ran had went away. So 
there was a need for an event, there was a need to raise money, and there was a need to honor him. So uh, Dan Kaufman and myself came up with the idea of hosting hosting the uh, the event. Awesome, process. awesome job. All right, hey, thanks a lot, buddy. That was great. We're gonna take a quick break, folks. Oh, touch that dial, Joe Tremisi. He's got some updates for you right here on Gun Owners Radio FM ninety six one. AM This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Gun Owners Radio with your hosts, Dave Stahl, Joe Germisi, and Michael Schwartz. Visit GunOwnersRadio.com with your questions and comments or to learn how to become a sponsor of the show. Time to get involved and get active. Together, we will win. Now here's Dave, Joe, and Michael on The Answer San Diego. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170, The Answer, slash Alpine. Hey, are you in the military? Are you looking to help, looking for help with your VA loan? Or if you're just looking to buy, refi, or considering a reverse mortgage, call our local mortgage guy that you can trust. Call Chris Wiley at PRMI Mortgage. For nearly 25 years, Chris Wiley has helped local San Diegans with all their mortgage needs. Call Chris Wiley, 619-722-1303, or just go to primeres.com slash Alpine. All right, Michael, what do you got? So uh, I want everybody to know that we have a couple of uh, Christmas parties coming up. In fact, San Diego County, Orange County, and Inland Empire, all those packs have Christmas parties coming up in December. So I want to make sure that everyone uh, marks their calendar. Go to SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com. That's SanDiegoCountyGunOwners.com. Uh, the Christmas party is up on the website, so you can get all the information there. It's December 15th um, for the uh, San Diego uh, uh, Christmas party. And uh, the next night is in Orange County. Orange County's got their Christmas party on the 16th, December 16th. Go to orangecountygunowners.com. And then Inland Empire, either go to riversidecountygunowners.com or go to San Bernardino County com, and you'll see the invite for the Inland Empire Christmas party. Super important that you, that you show. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, it's free, free to attend. You don't have to RSVP. You don't have to pay. There will be like a little, there'll be some prizes and stuff like that. There'll be drinks and food for purchase, um, but not, not, purchase is not necessary. So I just want to let everybody know Christmas parties are coming up in December. Mark your calendars, go to the websites, check them out right now. Are you going, Joe? Uh, yes, I should going be. Going to all of them. There you go. Are you going, Dave? Sure. You going to the Christmas, what, San Diego's? Yeah, I don't know anybody else up there. In Orange place. County, you don't want to come with me to Orange County? I'll go if you need a. We'll get another Maybacher, and you want an either riding partner? I can get the vehicle. Grab a uh, a burrito on the way. Uh, oh, absolutely! That I can't <laughs> wait for. Did you see my Silverado out there? I did. What do you think of it? It's big. <laughs> go ahead, go. Joseph. 
So, um, so we were talking about Rittenhouse. Yeah, we were, and um, you know, I, I normally, uh, well, we normally talk about the uh, article for the week here, and uh, I'd written about the Rittenhouse thing a couple of weeks ago, and I the the uh, angle I took on that one was the judge and uh, Judge Schroeder, because it seemed like uh, you know what I was writing about is it looks like we're going to get a fair judge, uh, which is not always the case uh, nowadays. So, uh, and it looks like um, now at the end of the trial here with the trial over, it looks like that proved correct. It looked like he was a pretty good judge, I think. Um, yeah. Except he should have sequestered the jury. Yeah. Oh, they weren't sequestered. I didn't know. That. No, no they, they were going home. Uh, but you know, it's. Uh, it's interesting because the, the article I'm writing this week, and uh, I'll get that published uh, probably tonight or tomorrow, but uh, again, a look at the, now that it's over, looking at kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the whole event. Mm. And, um, you know, looking at the good, uh, say, you know, the good, obviously the verdict that that, uh, that was um, rendered by the jury, uh, because it was, you know, I, to most people that would look at that, it was an obvious self-defense thing. I mean, most gun people I talk to, you know, feel that that was textbook self-defense. I mean, you could argue whether he should have been there or shouldn't have been there. But that's not any illegal. of the other stuff. But yeah. well, no, he has him, the right him, to be anywhere. Yeah, him being there is not illegal, and right? that and that's yeah. not what he was being tried for. Right. So, I mean, the fact that um, that he was acquitted, uh, you know, found not guilty on everything, I think is great. And the fact that the jury did that, uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking. I'd be curious to hear. I don't know. I, I suppose it'll come out eventually. Of you know they they deliberated for what over three days three and a half days something like that to yeah. reach that, yep. which again you know to me as I'm listening to this or waiting for this three days I'm thinking, okay what you know what what how could this be how could you talk about this for three days, but you don't know I mean it could have been one person they had to convince or they could have been going back and forth it'd be interesting to hear well the um, other what they other talked about thing to think about too. And a lot of your commentators are talking about it. And they said a lot of the reason why they drug it out as long as they did, because they didn't want to have the impression that it was a snap judgment or they made that decision quickly in fear of starting all-out riots. So they kind of drug it out intentionally. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that could be. Here. And, uh, you know, one of the other good things there was, again, going back to the judge, that um you know the way he conducted the trial it seemed like he was pretty fair he ruled he ruled for and against both the defense and the prosecution at different times um he was real aware i think of the uh the media and how how corrosive and corrupt and just vicious these people are and um you know and trying to keep that from influencing the uh the trial the other thing with the judge too is apparently he and his family were getting a lot of death threats and things like that the uh, he says he may never do another televised case like this yeah again. and again because of the media behavior right. and um you know they stoke that kind of stuff and i think it was um i think those are the good things that that um i saw with that well let, let's talk a little bit about like what are some misconceptions like for example um let's just start rolling through some of these misconceptions like uh, the fact that uh, I think that there's a common misconception out there that came from the the, the, the media or wherever about the case that that he was uh, mostly spread by the media, of course, but that he was um, <clears throat> illegally carrying the gun. That was he was not illegally carrying the gun, and he Ill- illegally crossed state lines carrying the gun. Well, which yes, he wasn't nor it wouldn't have been illegal anyway. Or that, or that crossing state lines meant anything, anything. at all, like right. it, like it was a, an obstacle or some kind of you know some it kind of sound Ill- like illegality. you're in a foreign country. Yeah, well, it absolutely had no bearing on anything at all. In fact, it was no different than you know crossing from El Cajon to Santee. But the again, other, the other misconception was he was not the aggressor. Right. 
Well, it gets back to the corrupt media, though. They, they you know, oh. the first thing, okay, well, Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there. Well, neither th- should the three people that attacked him. Right. You know, none of them were from Kenosha either. Well, and, and, and he, he was there on a bit for a better reason, if you believe his reasoning. Yeah, he than they were. He didn't instigate. I guess he was, and you can see this in the trial. He was actually running towards a fire to put a fire out. Right. It's funny. The prosecutor asked him, "Well, why was he in such a hurry to to run towards the fire?" And he said, "Well, because it's a fire." <laughs> Which oh, that, I thought was pretty hilarious. That was the same prosecutor that asked him why he used the hollow point bullets that explode in you when they uh, get right. into you, and and the same prosecutor that pointed the rifle at the people in the court. Yeah. Right. Well, he so he so Rittenhouse was not the aggressor. He was running Mm-mm. towards a fire, and and someone else started chasing him. That right. that horribly horrible guy, the guy who just got out of jail like that morning, is what my understanding. Right. And it was a for for molesting children. And he shows up at this uh, at this demonstration with uh, the bag from from jail that had all his stuff. You know, right. I guess in, in jail they put all your bag. And I, right. I've never been to jail. Yeah. You saw you oh. saw John Belushi get out in the Blues Brothers, right? Right. right. Exactly. Got exactly. Got in the police car. <laughs> got in the police car, and all he's got yeah. is his bag. So this guy was was with. There's not even a question. It's not subjective. Mm-hmm. It's not an opinion. This guy was the aggressor, 100. percent uh, Rittenhouse tried to get away from him, and when right. he couldn't, defended his life. Um, I guess uh, there, the first shot fired was by a, a, a third person, mm-hmm. not Rittenhouse, not the aggressor, but by somebody else who I guess shot their gun in the air. Right. Um, and then uh, Rittenhouse was not the aggressor with the second or third person. Mm-hmm. He was running down the street. Uh, he said to, to go turn himself into cops, which he later tried to do. That's on camera. He tried to sh- he turned himself into cops, and they said just keep going. They obviously didn't know what had just happened. They just mm-hmm. see this guy saying, "Hey, you know, I'm turning myself in," and they were like, "Look, just just we're keep we're here to keep the peace or whatever they were doing." They didn't do anything. Um, so uh, there was a, there were a few more than one misconception there, and when 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 facts started actually coming out, um, I think it was really really interesting. And this was such a such a uh, a videotaped incident. Oh. That there shouldn't have been any confusion at all as to the facts right. of the case. But see, when I we started the show, mm-hmm. I think I said it off air. I don't think I said it on air. I said, "Yeah, Rittenhouse killed two black guys," and you looked at me and said, "What the hell are you talking about?" Because if you follow the media, there actually was media outlets saying that the two guys he killed were black, and uh, the gentleman that got shot and was crippled. That started the whole Kenosha thing. He was dead too. He wasn't actually. Yeah, apparently he. And he's he, not he, dead. He lived. Yeah, he's he, just he paralyzed. But uh, I, you know, uh, I just think there's probably a lot of room to do a better job. Oh so. my god! Well, take yep. take a look at the article. You'll see the good, the bad, and the yeah. ugly from the. Uh, and when's that going to be out, sir? Uh, tonight or tomorrow? Let's put some pressure on you. There you go. Say about six thirty. Which tonight. is it? Tonight or tomorrow? Let's uh, do tomorrow. tomorrow. Let's do. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. Because do we have uh, Ryan Rogers up next? Uh, we have Byron Rogers. Oh, oh, that'll work. Byron. Yeah. Cool. So don't go anywhere. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. 
All right, so normally we'd have executive protection agent uh, Byron Rogers call in and talk to us about some cool know. stuff, but yeah. I guess he's not on the line. But that's okay. We're going to talk about another great partner. There you go. National Concealed Carry Association. We are so proud to partner with them. They are a 10-ring partner of ours, and NCCA exists to serve the Second Amendment community by providing a nationwide network of two-way advocates, offer elite self-defense and concealed carry training, from the nation's top instructors and provide rock bottom prices on the best selection of gear and accessories. Join them today. Members get great prices and free shipping. So you can learn a whole lot more. Just go to national concealed carry association. What'd you guys think of Steve Tarani? What'd you think of that? Uh, the soft skills interview? I thought it was very interesting and I think it touched a lot of people. I mean, I got quite a few texts. People asking them, you know, where can you find out about it? And and it's interesting who has those skills and who doesn't have those skills. Yeah. be interesting to have him on because I'm sure he can tell us the makeup of the person. I mean, is it is it somebody that's had military? Is it somebody that's had a job where it was trained? I got to tell you, it sounds less like military skills. It sounds more like sales skills. <laughs> I'll I'll bet yeah. you. Oh I'll, yeah, no, I'll, that's a good that's a good point. I'll bet you that the the typical sales guy is going to have better soft skills than right. the typical military guy. Well, I told you about the guy at the car dealership. Uh, he was single, and he always had a boat and you know vacation you know locations on the back of his credenza. When a young lady came in, yeah, and then as soon as the family came in, he had a picture of his wife, <laughs> his two kids, and his dog, which he wasn't married, but that was his soft skill approach, you know to Soften things up. Yeah. And, Is that what they know, call that? That soft skills? I think that would be considered a soft skill. I used to uh, I used to get asked a lot, especially when I was when I was a when I was in finance and, and banking and uh, you know, that that kind of stuff. Back when I was working for, for banks and investment firms, I would get asked a lot, um, you know, by friends of mine, uh, their kids or whatever, you know, what should I major in? You know, uh, to, to get into this industry, you know, should I major in economics or finance or whatever? Mm. And I told them, find some kind of marketing. Find some kind of marketing, figure out how to, you know, talk to people, how to sell, you know, how to, that, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, so valuable. I think there are a lot of, uh, of uh, there's a lot of industries, there's a lot of jobs where your interpersonal skills are far more important. Well, than anything else. I love it when I tell somebody, you know, you really ought to be in sales. They say, oh, I can't sell. I go, I says, you've been selling since you were a baby. When you wanted that first toy, when you could just barely walk, you sold your parents into getting <laughs> There you go. So good news. We have executive yeah. protection agent, video blogger, published author, and veteran Byron Rogers on the, on the line. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Good. Welcome to the show. So how did you get into executive protection, Byron? You know, really kind of the grace of God, right time, right place, right, right, place, right relationships. I um, was uh, bouncing at a bar in Orange County, and I ran into a guy who was part of probably the biggest traveling detail in, um, in Southern California in the United States. And this is probably the reason I focus so much on relationships, uh, when I teach other professionals on how to kind of build their careers, um, it was all just right time, right place, right relationships. You know, he said, go and get these permits. Give me a call back in two weeks and I'll show you how to make a lot more money doing what you're doing, which is security. And that's exactly what happened. 
hit 60 countries that first year. It was uh, out of this world. And so what is Protector Nation? Tell us about that. Protector Nation is, so my mission, really, kind of my life's purpose is to um, multiply protectors in the world. You know, I look at protectors as kind of the white blood cells in humanity. And um, I've been a protector my whole life with, you know, the Marine Corps, going to Iraq with the infantry with 3-1, and then into being a professional protector. And so through Protector Nation, I look to equip, you know, civilians, first responders, military folks with, you know, skills to help them really get better at the art of protection. So we bring in some of the best in the world. I mean, uh, we've got, you know, over well over a dozen, almost two dozen of the, you know, really elite instructors. And um, we create training events both in person and online for anybody to learn how to protect what matters most. So whether it's, you know, a single mom or it's a guy who's getting ready to lace up his shoes and, and um, get on the beat and uh, do police work. You know, we bring skills to the table that, that'll keep them safe and help them protect people. So I'm looking at a couple of pictures from your website. Um, how tall are you? <laughs> I'm 5'10". 5'10". 5'11 with my church shoes on. Okay. Yes, sir. You look, you look, pounds. You look enormous. You look like you're in fantastic <laughs> shape. Um, awesome. No, thank you. That, that's good. <laughs> so... My question on that is, how you know if if someone out there listening is uh, you know not quite as as uh, you know yeah. intimidating and big as you are, um, they weren't right. a bouncer, you know, and they're thinking, well, gee, I don't know what I can do. Like, I can't, I can never mm-hmm. compete. You know, what would you, what, what advice do you have? You know, just a normal sized person or maybe even an undersized person. What would you say yeah. about like, hey, you can do it. Here's how. Like, how would you explain that to them? To get into executive protection or just to be a protector and, and, and which, which way do you want me to go with it? I guess uh, if they were going to come to you to learn these skills, maybe not even to be a yeah. professional, but just to take better right. care of themselves, but they thought it wasn't an option because they weren't right. you know, an enormous tough guy like, like, okay. you, like you and me. <laughs> what well, you know, no, what I, would you I say to them? And really, you know, I, the answer is twofold. You know, and on the professional side, you know, um, being big and scary is not a requirement for the job. A lot of times um, people want folks that can blend in to protect them. So it's something that's really popular. So everyone can get involved as a professional protector. Now, and the, with the reality of protection um, as it pertains to every person's uh, life, I believe protection is the one skill or competency that protects, that allows us to enjoy everything that it is that we love. So I would say, and this is, uh, I would say that personal protection uh, starts with the person. Self-defense is all about the self. So understanding how to, and this is what I do for the 1% of the 1%, is I help them live a safer pattern of life. So understanding how to live a safer pattern of life, understanding how to recognize, you know, Behavioral profiling is something we talk about a lot at Protector Nation. Um, understanding situational awareness, but people always say situational awareness going deeper into it. So, you know, understanding context, understanding tactical positioning, and understanding how to run a rolling risk assessment of your environment. There are so many soft skills that will help you avoid 90% of things that can happen. Um, and the hard skills are for that 10% you hope you never have to use. And if you do have to use them, having the training to help you understand when you have to bring in a force multiplier, any type of hardware, uh, to even the playing field has everything to do with you knowing what you're capable of. And there's so many case studies, you know, I, I do in social media, tactical protection reviews, you know, it's a bunch of free content about 
people protecting themselves in real world combative situations uh, where you'll see, you know, the elderly protecting themselves, women, people that are less physically potent, effectively protecting themselves because they understand these ABCs uh, of fundamentals of real protection. You know, you know, it's funny. We actually interviewed. This was not planned. We, uh, well, we planned the interview, but we didn't. Uh, it's, it's a coincidence that we're both, uh, both, both folks that we're interviewing today uh, talk about soft skills. We just interviewed Steve Tarani um, about okay. soft skills and had a whole conversation that was really, really interesting. Um, so you have oh, yeah. you have the benefit of the audience knowing what you mean by soft skills because we just talked about it a couple of uh, segments uh, ago. So what is, what's your advice if you were going to tell somebody, hey, you know what, here's, mm-hmm. here's something you should know about soft skills, mm-hmm. or here's something you can use right now uh, regarding yeah. soft skills, what, what would you say? Um, I would go right back to my ABCs of protection. Um, context, tactical positioning, rolling risk assessment. These are three things you should always be considering when you're moving around the world. You know, context, understanding transitional spaces. You know, attacks happen when you're not in a safe place i.e. inside your place of business sometimes, or i.e. at your house, when you're going from one safe place to another location, macro and micro. That's from your car to your front door. That's from your trip from L.A. to New York. So understanding context, where you're going, what time, like what kind of threat level should I be at relative to where I'm going, and actually doing something about that ahead of time and maybe coming up with a plan or keeping your eyes open because of that ahead of time and then going into you know, tactical positioning, where have I placed myself physically in an environment? Does it give me uh, a visual mastery so I can see what's going on? A visual edge? Does it give me um, an edge with regards to escape and evasion? Or does it give me an edge to fight? Are there things in that environment I can utilize if I am forced into a, uh, to have to use um, physical force, right? So understanding, you know, context, tactical positioning, and then getting into a rolling risk assessment. You know, what is the risk of me being here relative to my actions? Am I exposing myself and the other people's actions in my environment? And just overall, what's going on? And if you're managing those three, that's how I break situational awareness up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do it that way because people just say situational awareness like like it's just a fix-all or like they say mindset, like it's a fix-all. Right. Without getting in, getting granular with it, it's really not a very valuable explanation for how you can use soft skills to protect yourself. Um, so that would be my just two-second, you That's, know. That was, that was uh, very, uh, well, very well put. That was excellent. You maybe sum it up by saying be nice until it's ready to do some throat rips. Hey, my man, uh, um, you know, uh, General Mattis said it best, you know, be kind, be courteous, but have a plan. You know the rest. To kill everyone in the room. Yeah. Hey, so everyone you meet. There you go. What do you want the gun owners community uh, to know about you and your training and what you do? Um, Absolutely. I love the hardware. I love the hard skills. Obviously, I'm a combat Marine. Um, But what I really want to make sure that gun owners consider is just because you have a gun doesn't mean you're safe. I post lots of it. I posted lots of videos with guys and gals with guns. And the reality is they're just carrying a gun for someone else. If you have a weapon on you, um, it just, it means a lot of things. But one thing it can definitely mean is that if you get into a physical altercation, um, it's a life threatening one instantly, just because you have a weapon, a weapon on you. So, um, do not make the mistake of just focusing on your hardware, even though these things are sexy. I love my gun, but I'd say, I'd say what we say at the league at my executive protection school, rookies spend money on hardware, professionals spend money on software. Cause ultimately your ability to 
solve higher quality problems while you utilize your firearm is really what's going to give you the edge in a lot of cases. Awesome. All right. Great having you on the show, my friend. Man, it's an honor. I really appreciate that. Thanks well, so much. We appreciate it as well. All right, folks, this is Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170. The Answer. folks welcome back to gun owners radio fm 961 am 1170 the answer <laughs> ah we're you're here. so on top. all right here we go so have you ever wondered what firearm ownership uh, would be like in a foreign country like california like brazil um find out next same thing That's what I was all thinking. right folks hey if you have legal matters that involve firearms then you need to call attorney john dillon if you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you need to know that your guns are California compliant, well, you can call our trusted firearms attorney, John Dillon. John Dillon specializes in California gun laws. Call 760-642-7150, or you can visit his website at dillonlawgp.com. All right, Mike, who we got for a special guest? So we have a very cool special guest. I was actually just hanging out with her this morning. Uh, Sasha is a uh, she's an ambassador for our Not Me program. Mm. She's a member of San Diego County Gun Owners, uh, and she she frequently can be found at our shooting socials, uh, teaching people you know new shooters as a uh, as a mentor. So uh, Sasha, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Perfectly. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Long time no see. Yeah. Right. How was your student this morning? She's awesome. Um, she was a little hesitant just hearing the shooting around her so you know her flinch reflex was a little dicey to say the least um but she she got over it you know we we just practiced one at a time and like i always try and tell my mentees you know when you're gonna have if god forbid if and when you're gonna have to draw your gun in a protection incident um you're not it's not going to be calm it's not going to be a really cool situation you're going to be panicked you're going to have emotions running high so use that nervousness use that fear of the loud bangs happening around you to channel it into your determination to protect yourself and do the right thing so uh let's talk a little bit about uh your your life um you have not always lived in the united states right where are some of the places you've lived no, it took us 19 years to immigrate here legally, and um, it w- meanwhile, we I lived in Canada, where I was born, England, Switzerland, and Brazil, and then back to the U.S. for college in between. And you lived in Brazil for, for most of that time, right? Am, am, I, am I right? Five years. Five years in Five Brazil. Years. Yes, where okay. my husband is from. So talk about firearms ownership in, uh, well, let's talk specifically about firearms ownership in Brazil, but then maybe we'll touch on, on the other countries as well. Well, so there is no real ownership of firearms in the other countries, um, literally speaking. Um, So that's why when I moved to Brazil, um, the first thing my husband said was, okay, well, we're going to go get you a gun. And I looked at him like he had three heads, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I've never owned a gun. I've never shot a gun except for a BB gun, you know, out in my grandma's backyard or something. Um, 
what do you mean a gun? I said, I'll just call 911 if I'm in trouble. And he's like, and he laughed and he's like, well, there is no 911 here. And I just, the shock of that statement sat with me for a little while and I, I just, I didn't understand. What do you mean there's no 911? He said, Sasha, this is a place where if you are in trouble and you need help, you help yourself. You have to defend yourself. You have to defend your home. And so we went out and I bought my, he bought me a little 38 special snub nose Taurus, um, which was fantastic revolver. And I'm so sad I don't have it any longer. Um, I think that, that's a Brazilian and, company too, isn't it? Taurus? Yes. Yeah. Taurus is, yes. And they make great guns. Yes, exactly. Um, it was perfect little gun for my first gun. Um, and I literally had to start from the beginning and learn all the basics and then move to uh, tactical situations within my home. As so, wait, wait, just like that? So you, you just, you'd never even considered owning a gun before, and then boom, you have this Taurus revolver in your hands. What, what, do you remember it being odd, or was it kind of exciting? Or, yeah, or was it, it was terrifying? It was terrifying. It was terrifying. So um, both my husband and father-in-law are... are I should call them gun hoarders, <laughs> uh, not gun collectors. Um, but my thought, you know, of course, they well, have a firearm but, but in every this is, room of the house. But this is in Brazil. Didn't you say that there really isn't? I'm confused by that statement. Um, so, in, I mean, in the countries I'd lived before, England and Canada, there was no gun. Oh, I see. You, you know, guns weren't a thing. Um, not even the policemen in in England have guns, for goodness sake. Okay, so but it was different in yeah, Brazil. Citizens. And it was Brazil, it sounds like it was extremely necessary because Brazil's is it why is it so dangerous? Is it is it corruption or why is it so dangerous in Brazil? So it's it's lack of authority. Um, it's the humongous gap between um, the haves and the have nots. Mm. And frankly, policemen are paid about hundred and fifty bucks a month. Jeez. So, would you put your life on the line for 150 bucks a month? No, probably not. Maybe maybe 160, but not 150. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when you're looking at that situation, um, there, there, there's the violence got really bad after we when we left. That's one of the reasons we left Brazil because the violence just got to a point of absolute terror, terror for everybody Jeez. and everybody we know that could get out has left the country um, permanently, you know, to live and so on. But no, it was terrifying when I first got those guns in my hands because, as I mentioned, both my father-in-law and husband are huge collectors, so they had a little array of guns, shall we say, for me to try as my first time. And I remember I picked up a 1911 of my father-in-law's. It was huge and chromed, and this thing looked so fancy, and I felt like James Bond. And I, and, you know, of course, they're the experts, so they were all just, you know, commenting about, you know, well, she'll probably shoot like that, and she'll probably do this, and da-da-da. And it turns out, out that I shot perfectly on target, right in the bullseye, for about seven shots, and then <laughs> my thumb hit the magazine ejector. <laughs> and so the whole magazine dropped out of the bottom of this gun, and I freaked out, and the gun dropped, and the magazine dropped, and it was just, you know, like, what is going on? I'd, I'd had no, I had no clue what I was doing. Wow. So when you, when you were in Brazil, did you kind of get into it as a hobby as well, or was it purely, hey, this is a tool because we don't have 911? Um. Not as a hobby at all, as it was a tool. Um, my husband w did have actually a federal federal CCW down there, hmm. um, so he could 
get on planes because of his work, um, what he did. And that was enough of a scare for me. Um, we have been chased in a car with him and his best friend in the front seats and, you know, the other wife and myself ducked down in the back while they're exchanging gunfire with people that are trying to carjack us just because we're trying to go to a restaurant at night. Um, we've had, we, there was a lot of situations oh, and I was not even remotely prepared. Um, and then I think it, that all changes when you become a mother. Really? You know, talk about that. Like, did that really, uh, did that kind of, well, what did that do? Give you some sharper fangs or what did that do? <laughs> well, it made me leave Brazil when I was five months pregnant Jeez. because I knew that I couldn't handle that. I was not capable of being that in that mode of self-defense all the time mm. because I took it seriously. Um, and previously to just before I got pregnant, I did actually um, get held up at gunpoint by five people with weapons. Um, and it, it went sideways very, very quickly. And frankly, I'm lucky to be alive. Talk about that. Give, give some of those details. So that was, um, you know, a, noon on a business day and my Dodge Caravan was an imported car so all the parts are expensive and the air conditioner broke and so I had to drive to noon you know it's hot I have to drive with the windows open slightly well I wasn't prepared to um I wasn't prepared I, I didn't realize I didn't understand that I couldn't crack the window only to the point where someone couldn't put their arm through the window. And anyway, I was stopped at a traffic light in a three-lane uh, road, and I was third, second or third car back, and a little kid came over to my window and started asking for money, mm. like they do at every traffic light there. And I, I kind of, you know, shooed him away and said, no, no, no. And he kept it, he was being very insistent, very insistent, and then the light starts to change. And people start moving, and this kid doesn't get out of the way and let me go. And all of a sudden, he's... And also, you have to understand, he was speaking in Portuguese slang. So, although I speak Portuguese, it was very difficult to, to understand the, the slang and the, that vocabulary. Um, but I did understand when he said... If you don't give me everything, if you don't give me your money, he's going to blow your head off. Jeez. And I just went, what okay, was, that part I understood. Yeah. What was uh, that? What was that feeling? I mean, the hair would go up on the back of your neck or, I mean, that must have been cold, chilling. Cold. I went ice cold and I, sorry, I get emotional every time I talk about it because oh, I Sasha. just knew. No, no, it's okay. It's, I'm working through it, but it's just because I knew that was the situation mm -hmm. my husband had prepared me for. Wow. Because he had said over and over and over, look, it's not a matter of if, it's when. And when it happens, he's like, you keep your mouth shut. You cannot let them know you're a foreigner, number one, because you will be kidnapped and you will likely be raped and killed and they will still ask for a ransom and we're going to pay it to find your body. And so that was always drilled into me. And he just said, you keep your mouth shut and you give them everything and you don't look at them. Just hand it over. Just hand it over. So that's what I started doing. I didn't move. I'm obviously in the driver's seat. I barely let my eyeball go slightly more to the right so I could get a little bit more peripheral vision. And I saw a man with his whole arm through the window with a gun about 
three to four inches from my temple. Mm. And um, I just picked up my bag with my right hand off the seat, my purse, and I handed it out the window to the kid. And he said, no, 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 the money, the money. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here we go. This is what he was warning me about. So I reached into my purse to get my wallet. I handed him my wallet. No, 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 give me the money, give me the money. Because, see, down in Brazil, everybody carries two wallets. Hmm. They carry one wallet with their documents and money, and they carry another wallet to give to these bandits. Hmm. So, so he didn't... A, a story like... I mean, that that is so intense. Well, you, I, I can't don't even, interrupt. You're, we're almost going to break. <laughs> I got to hear the end of it. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it basically... It, and meanwhile, all the traffic is moving. I'm sitting in a three-lane road at a traffic light with all the traffic going around me. And the first question everyone always asks is, well, didn't anyone do anything? Well, there was five people with weapons. Who's going to do what? I'm, you know, everyone's going to turn into Swiss cheese. Um, so anyway, basically I had to, luckily I had just been paid by um, my student. I was teaching English down there and I handed him the cash. And it was only after I handed him this little wad of cash that, the kid on the left side of my car left, the man with the gun through the window on my right left, there were two other people on each corner of my car on the right-hand side, and there was another person on my back left-hand side. So had I made any attempt whatsoever to move, to get out of the situation, frankly, to even look in their direction, I, I would have been, I would have had my head blown off. So were you armed at the time? No, no, because to, to get a um, to be to have a CCW in Brazil is very, very difficult. Wow, it was at the time. So um, that's why having my my husband having a federal one was great because I felt like you know, oh, we're fine as long as I'm with him. <laughs> and these things tend to not happen when your husband's around. So Sasha, wow. you're an extremely hardworking volunteer for San Diego County Gun Owners with the Not Me program for San Diego County Gun Owners with our shooting socials. Is 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 this your and motivation? Guns and Moses. Guns and, and Moses. Guns and Moses. Sure. Is this your motivation because of your your experience? Uh, is, is that is that why you're so motivated? Absolutely, absolutely. So, as soon as we could, that's what I did when we got here. As soon as yeah. our citizenship came through, the first thing my husband and I did was go buy our weapons and get our get on the list for a CCW. So Sasha, did you walk in the house that night and say, "Well, it happened." Well, to be honest, it was it was really traumatic, and no, I actually just pulled into the driveway, and Jeez. I couldn't even get out of the car. Um, my husband heard the car just running and running and running and running, and he finally was like, what is going on? And he found me just a ball of, Jeez. you know, hysteria in the front seat. Um, I couldn't actually drive for about three months after that. Um, it was terrifying. I mean, it's sure. absolutely terrifying. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for the end of the story. Didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. No, not at all. No. <laughs> the, uh, no, you were fine, Sasha. That was amazing, Sasha. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank you so much for all the volunteer work you do and your dedication. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. Boy, that was amazing. Well, hey, don't go anywhere. Sam the Gunman. Coming up, your favorite segment on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The Answer. All right, folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio. 
FM 96, AM 1170, The Answer. Hey, we live in a state where your self-defense rights are under attack. Let us be your voice to help defend and restore the Second Amendment. You can help spread the word about the fight. There's two easy things that you can do. One, like and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, the podcast, or whatever way you like to listen to the show. Two, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps boost the show and puts it in front of a whole lot more people. All right. Awesome. You up? Or I'm me up. up? I'm up. Well, next is our our most popular segment. Absolutely. Uh, Sam the Gunman, who is coincidentally my nephew. Uh, we have a segment every week where we, uh, if you send in a question on gun trivia, uh, we will uh, review it. And if we use it on the air, you will get a hat or a shirt. And if you stump my nephew, you will get a lifetime of firearms training from Front Sight in Nevada. So, Sam, you there? Yeah, how are you guys? Good, man. How are you? Vertical, you know. Vertical. <laughs> nice. I like that. All right, we got. I think we. I think we. We have a. We get you a twofer today. Can you? Can you answer two questions? Was that one of them? No, that was not one. Of them. <laughs> I think it was. Smart pants. Okay, Ashley from Paris. P e r r i s. Ashley from Paris asks, which firearm was advertised for bear, deer, hog, moose, and T Rex? Uh. Paris, huh? I, I think you're just making up California place names now. <laughs> no, actually, there's a half mile dirt track there that is awesome. It's Paris Auto Speedway and yeah. a big lake, and they have a big lake and an Eiffel Tower. They don't have an Eiffel oh, Tower. Never mind. Okay, um, so the the question was, uh, what firearm is advertised for? Um, and you listed a variety of animals, including T Rex. Yes, sir. Um, it's. Uh, I want to say it's the Marlin 1895, um, one, one of the variants of that, that they used to list on their website as um, uh, rated for T-Rex, like they would tell you what kind of game animals everything was for, and this particular 4570 lever-action carbine was advertised uh, for use against T-Rex because it was um, Chris Pratt carried one in, in one, of those, uh, one of those Jurassic Park movies. In 2015's Jurassic World, Owen Grady, played by Chris Pratt, favors a stainless steel lever-action Marlin 1895 SBL chambered for 4570 government. It's a handsome rifle with a laminated hardwood pistol grip stock, lever-action, a big lever that facilitates operation, and gloved hands. A Leupold optics scope and a six-shot tubular Operation magazine. with gloved hands. You don't actually get gloved hands with it. It's uh, no. I think they actually issue hands. you. Gloved- <laughs> <laughs> I shot one of these at Poway Weapons and Gear not too long ago, and it is very very cool. I keyhole it at like thirty yards to do the thing like the rifleman used to do because that's the kind yeah. of uh, <laughs> no. I can't do that. I had my. I had. I had. I was. I was holding onto somebody's gloved hands. And that made it a little difficult to do. That's awesome, man. Have you not seen Jurassic uh, Park or Jurassic World? I have not, but the fact that that rifle is rated for use against dinosaurs because of that movie is like uh, sort of a, a um, one of those uh, factoids that float around in the gun world, and, and you know you absorb it through cultural osmosis. Um, they are really neat rifles. I hope Ruger gets 
gets Marlin back up and running, making those lever-action rifles again now that they own them. There's, uh, Do you think that will happen? Are they, is that in the works, or have you heard anything? Well, yeah. Um, Ruger purchased Marlin during the breakup of Freedom Group, and they've said that they're working on getting uh, all the all the popular models back in production, which I think is kind of interesting because now Ruger has cornered the market on semi-auto 22s with the 1022 and the Model 60. But uh, I haven't heard anything anything new about that. I just hope it happens soon because we need more lever-action rifles. Mm-hmm. There's actually more. Marlin subtly nodded to the 1895 SBL's inclusion in Jurassic World on their website. Their website used, used to recommend their uh, rifle for bear, deer, hog, moose, and T-Rex. It's one of the products that was recommended for hunting T-Rex. T-Rex weighed. A T-Rex weighs upward of 30 tons. However, so even with powerful 4570, you'd better make the six shots count. I don't know. What do you think? 4570 round, do you think that that would take down a 30-ton animal? Um, I'm no biologist, but I have some doubts about 30 tons. Three tons sounds a little more accurate, but... uh, you, you paleontologists out there know more than I do. Um, so someone's probably screaming at their radio receiver right now that I'm, I'm uh, full of crap. But uh, the thing is, we just don't know a lot of things about their biology and their, um, their anatomy, like how thick their skin was, things like that. So it's, it's hard to say. And I'm, again, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a paleontologist. But forty-five seventy is no joke, especially in a modern loading. It is big. I mean, it's seriously like a tube of lipstick. It's so big. Um, okay, so we have a second question here. This is from Rich in Chula Vista. He wants you to define. He's looking for uh, when it comes to. Uh, um, hang on a sec here. Precision shooting. So pre- when it comes to pre- precision shooting, the term dope. Where does that come from? What's its history? What's it mean? Thanks for writing in, Rich. And uh, Chula Vista is something I have heard of. Still not sure if it's real, but I've heard of it. <laughs> um, now, dope. Uh, I, I can't say offhand where it comes from, but the dope on a, uh, on a rifle refers to um, the, the way the scope is zeroed. So because an optic is not directly in line with the bore, and because bullets follow a ballistic trajectory based on gravity and air resistance and all those sorts of things, um, you will zero the scope so that the, uh, the bullet is hitting dead on at a particular range, and then your dope is how much it rises or falls above uh, the, the center of the reticle at any given range. You'll see some precision shooters have a little dope chart sometimes taped to a lens cap or taped to the side of the rifle so that they have a quick reference sheet for um, what their point of aim should be at a particular distance. Totally so accurate. saying you might have heard about being able to hit what whatever it is you're trying to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the dope on the weapon. It's the dope behind the weapon. <laughs> totally accurate, but they're looking for uh, why do they use that term dope? Why Why dope? I want to say I want to say it's an acronym, but it I, is. What's an, so an acronym? I've, I've heard this, but it it escapes me at the moment. It's well, we kind of semi we kind of semi stumped you. Then I think Rich from uh, Chula Vista might get. Uh, they're at least going to get a hat or a shirt. They might actually. I might give the uh, half a membership. 
Might give half a membership to front site. It's what is it like drop over something something? Data on personal equipment. Data on personal equipment. Data on personal equipment. You'll never forget this. Now man. here's the thing. Anybody out there, I, I'm not a hundred percent confident that this person gave us the right right answer. So uh research it, Sam. Anybody out there listening, if you uh send us uh evidence that that is not the right answer and send us what the right answer is and your you know and, and support for for what for why that is the right answer we'll we'll give you a prize with the other half of Rich's membership we'll give you the other half of Rich's membership <laughs> exactly all right awesome job sam you did good buddy yeah thanks uh, thanks very much for having me on interesting questions i thought so have a great thanksgiving too bud yeah you too and uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and for writing in we'll keep stumping you or try anyway. Trying. Yeah, you, you can keep trying. <laughs> All right, folks. Hey, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or YouTube, whatever your favorite flavor is. And please support all our great sponsors San Diego County Gun Owners, U.S. Law Shield, the Dillon Law Group, DRMI Mortgage, Scott Vincent and Coldwell, Banker Royal Realty, Sage Tree Web Development, and National Concealed Carry Association. I want to give a big thanks out to Joe Jamisi, Michael Schwartz, Sam the Gunman, and Big Boy Joe in the box on FM 961 AM 1170. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.